0: Welcome everyone, I have a few updates before we begin. Thanks to the support of Audible, History of the Marine Corps can now give you a free audiobook. Audible is known for its tens of thousands of audiobook selections, but they also have choices from podcasts to meditation sessions. I often use Audible for myself, and for some of the reference material we use on the show. I love audiobooks. For one, I'm a cran eater, so having someone read the book to me is a lot easier. But it also allows me to rewind and listen to segments, and I could listen while I'm doing things around the house. In the spirit of transparency, History of the Marine Corps receives a kickback for everyone who signs up, but the author or the publisher does not sponsor me whatsoever. Every recommendation is either a book I personally read or listened to through Audible. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. This offer is available to any of the tens of thousands of audiobooks offered by Audible. And regardless if you decide to continue your membership with Audible or not, this book is yours to keep forever. It's a pretty good deal. So visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. Stay tuned after the show where I will give you my audiobook recommendation. My second announcement is Patreon. History of the Marine Corps is now on Patreon. I have many plans for this podcast for 2021, including making YouTube videos about Marine Corps battles, conducting more interviews with Marines, and even visiting some of these battle sites we discussed on the podcast and creating virtual tours of the battlefield. We also have an event coming up in February, honoring the 76th anniversary of Iwo Jima. Details are currently on Patreon, and I'll post this on social media as we get closer. But holy crap, if there is one historical monument to support, this is it. This monument was built for Iwo Jima survivors by Iwo Jima survivors. Visit patreon.com marinehistory to look at our Patreon page. I'll include a link in the podcast description as well. Thanks for your time, and now on to the show. Welcome to Episode 52 of History of the Marine Corps, American Indian Wars, Part 1. Last week's episode covered an essential but rarely discussed expedition. Marines traveled to Kuala Batu to confront another group of pirates. We discussed the battle's origin, how the Marines helped secure victory, and concluded with the introduction of the Creek and Seminole Wars. This week's episode is the introduction to the American Indian Wars. I'm taking a couple of weeks to lay the groundwork for the history of Native American-European conflicts. We cover a few disputes between Native tribes and European settlers in North America during the 1600s, and the episode ends by looking at how European nations took advantage of Native American allies. We also look at the action of Native American tribes in the massacre of European settlers. Thanks for joining, now let's talk about the history of the Marine Corps. I struggled for a while on how to approach the American Indian Wars in this podcast. Although the Marine Corps had a role in some battles, the conflict between Native Americans and the United States was mostly fought by the U.S. Army. As I mentioned during last week's episode, the view of the morality of the United States will vary depending on who you ask. Some criticize the United States for how they treated Native Americans and blame the country for the current state of Native American tribes. Others think that the actions of the United States were justified. Frankly, I don't believe it's that cut and dry from both sides of the spectrum. This is a complicated topic, and you often hear about the impact the United States had on Native Americans. But the United States wasn't the only country that impacted the Native American way of life. European countries started visiting North America in the late 1400s and Native American conflicts began as soon as the First Europeans stepped foot on North American soil. Spanish conquistadors were unquestionably cruel to Native Americans, and British colonists exploited tribes for their land. During the American Revolution and the War of 1812, the British took advantage of the tensions between the United States and Native Americans and used them as part of their military. The British relied on Native Americans to help fight the United States during their invasions of Canada, but once the U.S. stopped attacking our neighbor to the north, British support for Native American tribes suddenly vanished. They were left to defend their land on their own. So if you're one who tends to think in extremes, and believes the United States was inherently evil, or on the other end, think the U.S. is entirely innocent, I ask you to keep an open mind as we navigate the history of Native Americans in North America during European colonization. If you disagree with anything I have to say, I encourage you to research it, and if you find something contrary to what I'm saying, shoot me an email. I am not emotionally tied to any of this, and if I'm wrong, I will be more than happy to update the show. I'm not here to settle the debate on the United States' behavior. I'm just telling the story of how it happened. A common misconception is that Native Americans lived in peace before the arrival of European citizens. This belief couldn't be farther from the truth. There were hundreds of tribes throughout North America. Most of them did not get along with each other, and there were constant conflicts between populations. Massacres and raids were common amongst rivals, and sometimes within their own tribes, and it was common practice to capture women and children as slaves. Each tribe was culturally different and spoke different languages. This diversity left very little in which they had in common with one another. The technological advancements varied among tribes as well. Some were still hunter-gatherers, and some built seafaring vessels and created highly sophisticated art. The thought of Native American tribes having long-standing traditional Native lands is another common misunderstanding. Tribes were displaced for hundreds of years before Europeans settled in the United States as a result from conflicts with other Native Americans. Granted, some of these tribes lived in their area for hundreds of years before Europeans arrived in the U.S. Before Christopher Columbus landed in San Salvador in 1492, many Europeans visited North America and met with Native Americans. Despite what many of us were taught in elementary school, Christopher Columbus did not discover America. For one, millions of people lived in North America before he even arrived. Two, Europeans visited North America before him. The importance of Columbus's voyage wasn't the discovery of a new land. His journey marked the beginning of a new, permanent European presence overseas. Before Columbus, most Europeans weren't aware North America existed. But within a few decades, Spain had established many permanent colonies in the Caribbean and what is now Mexico. As the years went on, and word of this new world traveled around the globe, more European countries, specifically France and Great Britain, settled in North America. Early Europeans visited this new continent for its resources. Initially it was Spice's but the longer they stayed, they focused on more valuable resources in the area, including gold and beaver fur. These new riches brought many entrepreneurs to take advantage of the relatively new resources. As the 17th century crept up, colonies started to pop up quickly. In 1806, Captain John Smith, the same guy who rescued Pocahontas, founded a Virginia settlement named Jamestown. This area would be the first permanent settlement from Great Britain in America. The response from Native Americans was at first just curiosity. Local tribes did not see the Europeans as a threat to their way of life, and they took advantage of the opportunity to trade with their new neighbors. The first few years were peaceful, and settlers had more to worry about with weather than with Native Americans. On the morning of March 22, 1622, The Jamestown colonists were mingling with the local Powhatan tribe. This activity was a normal thing to see in the early settlements of Jamestown. The two neighbors often had breakfast together, farmed the fields together, and traded goods and services. Unfortunately, that early spring morning would change for the colonists. The Native Americans quietly gathered any weapon they could find. Rifles, swords, farming tools, cooking utensils and they attacked the settlers. The residents of Jamestown didn't have enough time to defend themselves, and they were slaughtered. Almost 350 settlers were massacred that day, which was about a third of the colony. Colonists spent a decade and a half building up that city, and were almost wiped out in a few minutes. The chief of the Powhatans orchestrated this attack. In a letter to the Jamestown settlers, he wrote, quote, Your coming is not for trade, but to invade my people and possess my country. Having seen the death of all my people thrice, I know the difference of peace and war better than any other country. This event began the tension between the new colonists and the local Native American tribes. As more Europeans settled in North America, colonists became more familiar with their surroundings, and as that confidence grew larger, they started to migrate west. Settlement after settlement would experience similar situations compared to Jamestown, specifically the towns in remote locations. In the mid to late 1630s, Dutch and English colonists along the Connecticut River Valley had periodic conflicts with the Pequot tribe over territory control. Small scuffles turned into larger battles, and both sides fought each other for political dominance and territorial control of the area. In the 1640s, Dutch settlers engaged with the Lenape Indians in the New York, New Jersey area, known as the Wappinger War. One night, Dutch settlers snuck in and attacked a Lenape camp, massacring almost all the Native Americans. In the 1650s, the Susquehannock Indians launched an attack on multiple Dutch settlements along the Hudson River, in what is known as the Peachtree War. Over 600 Native Americans assembled and attacked the Dutch. It's unclear how many Dutch settlers died during this massacre, but 150 were taken as slaves. In 1660, Dutch settlers opened fire on a group of Native Americans of the Asopas tribe. They were simply enjoying a drink around a campfire after a long day of working on the farm. The Esopus tribe retaliated and destroyed Dutch settlement supplies, farm crops, livestock, and killed some of the settlers. This retaliation would ultimately lead to the King Philip's War three years later, which involved New England colonists and the Wampanoag. The chief of the tribe is Metacomet. He was born in 1639 and was the youngest son of Chief Yellowfeather, one of the Wampanoag leaders who helped the early colonists at the Plymouth Colony about 50 years prior. This war was significant, and both sides experienced around 3,000 casualties. The colonies lost one-tenth of the men qualified for military service. Colonists publicly executed, or made slaves, of hundreds of Native Americans during this battle, and it is considered by many as the bloodiest war in colonial American history. This list is an all-encompassing of conflicts that happened in the 1600s between European colonists and Native Americans. There are countless skirmishes and numerous deaths during these violent times on both sides of the field. As the 18th century started to roll in, colonies along the east coast of North America began to flourish. This growth meant more people living in these areas, more resources consumed by the new colonists, and more conflicts in the name of territory ownership. But this time, Europeans would begin fighting amongst themselves. British and French colonies will take advantage of their Native American allies and pit them against each other. During the late 17th and 18th centuries, Europe was going through a philosophical movement that gave birth to concepts such as liberty, reason, and the scientific method. This period was known as the Enlightenment and Western civilizations were starting to look at the world differently, especially when it came to politics and religion. Out of this philosophy came great ideas. However, there was a clash with religion, specifically the Catholic Church. The conflict between the Enlightenment and religion inspired many European settlers to look for land that wasn't controlled by the Catholic Church or European monarchies. North America provided many opportunities to the citizens of Europe, and many European countries were settling and colonizing North America to take advantage of the new land's wealth. French colonies were located throughout the Middle and Northeastern Canada, but by the mid-1700s, French citizens moved south into the Ohio Valley, which includes parts of Pennsylvania, Virginia, and North Carolina. I have a map on historyofthemarinecorps.com if you're interested. At the very same time, British colonies were moving west to claim more land. When settlers from Virginia reached the Ohio Valley, they suddenly found themselves competing for land, which each believed was rightfully theirs. This competition eventually led to the French and Indian Wars, which is kind of a misleading name. The war got its name from the British colonists fighting the French and the Indians during this conflict. During the French and Indian Wars, Great Britain used the colonial militia to fight against the French and local Native American tribes. The French had a great relationship with the local tribes and relied on them to help fight the colonial militia. The two European nations exploited the rivalry between the Algonquin and Iroquois tribes, resulting in many deaths. The French and Indian Wars were made up of four smaller wars. The King Philip War, which we touched on earlier, was the first, followed by the King Williams War, which involved bloody raids by Europeans or Native Americans against their enemy. The King George War followed in 1744. The final war was simply known as the French and Indian War, and that lasted between 1754 and 1763. This war would decide which European nation would claim America. The Algonquin-speaking tribe allied with the French, while the Iroquois associated with British colonies. The war ended with the Treaty of Paris and required France to give up most of its territory in Canada to the British and land east of the Mississippi to Spain. This war was expensive for everyone involved, but it ended the long competition between the two rivals. Except for the American Revolution, France and Britain wouldn't directly fight each other again in North America. This war brought substantial debt to Great Britain. Not only did they need to pay for the war's debt, but they had to come up with money to govern the new land they have just acquired. British citizens were already highly taxed, and the government was looking for alternative locations to squeeze money out of their citizens. And when I say they were trying to squeeze money out of their citizens, I'm not trying to be facetious. Britain had a tax on glass, wallpaper, candles, and many other things. Residents were paying an average of 23 shillings per year in taxes, which was a significant portion of their annual income. The colonies weren't anywhere close to that. Massachusetts was one of the most highly taxed colonies at the time, and they paid an average of one shilling per year in taxes. Britain decided to tax the colonies to raise money for the war debt. The levying of these taxes is one of the main events that led to the American Revolutionary War. We discussed this in detail during Episodes 5 and 6, events leading to the Revolutionary War. But in short, the British governments forced the Sugar Act, Currency Act, Stamp Act, Quartering Act, and the Townshend Acts on early American colonists. The colonists argued against taxation without representation, meaning they weren't going to pay the excess taxes because no one in Parliament represented the new colonies. This pushback resulted in the settlements ultimately going to war with Great Britain for their independence. During the American Revolution, Great Britain allied with Native Americans and used them to attack colonies throughout the New World. The chief of the Mohawks, Thay Ndeneghi, supported the British during the American Revolution and was formally brought into the British Army. Thayendanegea changed his name to Joseph Brant, traveled to England, and was commissioned as a colonel by George III in the Royal Army. But when the newly appointed colonel returned to North America, he had lost support from some of the tribes in the Iroquois Confederacy, and a few tribes broke off to help the colonies. In 1779, George Washington launched the largest attack on Native Americans during the American Revolution. Washington selected General Sullivan to lead the attack. He chose Sullivan because of previous engagements in the Susquehanna Valley, where he led three brigades of around 2,400 men out of eastern Pennsylvania, along with General James Clinton and his 1,600 men. They met at Tioga, a Native American village, and destroyed everything in their way and captured as many prisoners as possible in the process. Washington wanted to strike hard at the Iroquois Confederacy and take out one of Britain's largest allies during the American Revolution. The future first president was clear in his letter to Sullivan about what he wanted. I'll have the full letter up on historyofthemarinecorps.com if you would like to read it yourself. Quote, The expedition you are appointed to command is to be directed against the hostile tribes of the Six Nations of Indians. The immediate objects are the total destruction and devastation of their settlements and the capture of as many prisoners of every age and sex as possible. It will be essential to ruin their crops now in the ground and prevent their planting more. He goes on to say, I would recommend that some post in the center of the Indian country should be occupied with all expedition, with the sufficient quantity of provisions, whence parties should be detached to lay waste all the settlements around with instructions to do it in the most effectual manner, that the country may not merely overrun, but destroyed. The expedition demolished the Iroquois food supply and destroyed their villages. Which successfully stopped another significant attack by the Iroquois Confederacy for the remainder of the war. Tribes in the western part of the United States saw the American Revolution as an opportunity to attack remote settlements. This new threat led to the notoriety of pioneers such as Daniel Boone and George Rogers Clark. It also contributed to the start of conflicts in the western part of America against Native Americans. With the end of the American Revolution, The United States was now a new country and the dominant force in North America. Without opposition from competing forces, colonies were able to thrive and spread quicker than before. This expansion resulted in multiple clashes with Native American tribes, as both sides either fought to expand their territory or to protect it. Thay and Danegui traveled back to England and tried to gain support for a strategy to orchestrate a revolution against the newly independent nation. But Britain denied the plan, and Parliament left the Iroquois nation to defend themselves. In 1781, the United States put into place the Articles of Confederation, which split the responsibility for Native American relations between the states and the federal government. There was a lot of criticism of the Articles of Confederation. One critic was President James Madison, who called it, quote, absolutely incomprehensible, unquote. But it did establish some treaties with Native American tribes. As a new country, the United States attempted to handle the tensions between Native Americans through diplomacy. However, this tactic wouldn't be successful for long. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we look at the War of 1812 and start to see the Marines enter the scene. Welcome to History of the Marine Corps book recommendation. This week's recommendation aligns with the topic of our show. Empire of the Summer Moon by S.C. Gwynn is a book that focuses on Native Americans in the American West. This isn't a book about the Marine Corps. I don't think the Marine Corps is referenced throughout the entire book. However, it is a fascinating story about the rise and fall of the Comanches. One of the more intriguing parts of the story involves a woman named Cynthia Ann Parker. Parker was an American born in Illinois that was kidnapped by the Comanches during a raid. She would eventually marry a Comanche chieftain, have his children, and raise the last free Comanche chief, Quanah Parker. The story is absolutely fascinating. Visit audibletrial.com slash History for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. But don't feel obligated to select my recommendation. The free audiobook applies to any of the thousands of choices available on Audible. History of the Marine Corps is now on Patreon. Visit the link in the description to visit our page. If you like what you're hearing, check out historyofthemarinecorps.com. Here you can subscribe to our newsletter, find out more information about each show, and look at references used for each episode. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Marine History, and on Instagram at History of the Marines. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. We count on listeners like you to share, and any help would be greatly appreciated. If you don't like what you hear, please contact us through historyofthemarinecore.com and let us know why. I'm always looking for ways to improve. Thanks for listening and SeMPrify.